If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. Hey, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Zach on Film. I am Zach on the Film. Across from me, like always, Stephen Schleicher. I'm not even supposed to be here today. Oh, I think you're off a week, Stephen. Oh. Oh, geez. Uh, All the way across the internet, over there, Matthew Peterson. Zach Wolf, you're my hero. Thank you. Uh, This week... We, I think, are, did we group a stint of films together in this? Is this a start we, of something? Mm, I guess we're I can't remember. doing a bunch of 80s films for the next month or so. Okay, that, that's the <laughs> official title. Bunch of a 80s bunch films of from 80s films. Yeah, because when you look at it, we've got uh, tonight, we've got uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yeah. And then we're following that up with the original Red Dawn, yeah. The Outsiders, St. Almost Fire. Uh, and then we'll jump into the 90s uh, and start a horror uh, kick uh, all the way through the end of October. Okay. So this so we is. Gotta, this is- Brad Pack films is what we're in here. Um, yeah, sure. Because, you know, Charlie's in this. And then Charlie's in Red Dawn. And Swayze crosses over into something. Why do I always think Red Dawn is about Russian submarines? You're it's thinking Red October. Red October. So yeah. close. So close. Uh, but they yeah. came out in the same century, so okay. it's easy to confuse them. That makes sense. Sean Connery. So, like we said, this week we were talking Ferris Bueller's Day Off. The Matthew Matthew Broderick starring John Hughes directing film. Written uh, and directed by John Hughes. Hey, look at that. And produced. And produced. He's doing all of this stuff. Uh, we've seen one John Hughes movies before on this series. Because we Breakfast have Club, watched Breakfast Club. I believe that's it. Is that it? We didn't do 16 Candles. Wow, that's uh, a shame. Did we do Baby's Day Off? No. Uh, what else did John Hughes do? Uh, did we do Not Another Teen Movie? Uh, nope. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. I don't think we did that. Uh-uh. So, yeah, maybe this is the only second John Hughes movie that we've done. But There's a, something about Mary. No, a very well-known, pretty much like 80s director, right? At least that's when I think of John Hughes. I think of the 80s. I think that's when most people recognize the the peak of his career. I mean, he's done so much <laughs> uh, after whatever his last uh, film was in the 80s. Um, but yeah, he's typically regarded as that, that eighties director because, uh, you know, you go into the nineties and he starts doing home alone and the home alone series. He did Beethoven. He did Curly Sue. Um, Curly Sue was his last directing job, which, you know, understandable. Uh, and then he, you know, he did a bunch of, uh, writing, uh, including miracle on 34th street, that update for that flubber, the, um, <laughs> Mork from work, uh, vehicle. Yeah. And then, uh, a couple of others. It's always interesting. Including Made in Manhattan. Because I didn't, when you pull up his IMDb, as I just did, and see Home Alone, I go, he didn't direct Home Alone. And I always forget when some people transition from directing to like just writing. Right. And you like, you don't know writers. Yeah, as but well if you look directors. at just, if you look at just the films that he's directed, 16 yeah. Candles, The Breakfast Club, Weird Science, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, She's Having a Baby, Uncle Buck, and Curly Sue. It cut, you know, it really in those directing films, if you just look at those, it is a life, it is a life process, right? Because you have 16 candles. I'm 16 year old. I'm doing whatever I'm doing. Oh no, I'm in detention in high school. And then I'm going to be playing hooky and doing weird sciencey stuff. And then at some point you get into what does family mean? And what does it mean to have a kid? And what are the problems that if you've never seen, she's having a baby, probably now is not the best time <laughs> okay. for you to watch that movie, Zach. <laughs> Um, but you know, it talks about do relationships stick together. And then of course you got uncle Buck who is, Hey, we're going on vacation and leaving our family with our crazy uncle. 
And then at some point you're like, oh, I have lost my loved one and now I must raise this person by myself. How do I cope with that? And how do I find love again? So it's this really weird, you know, as John Hughes grows, the focus of movies that he directs also seems to mash in together into this weird moving from teenager to family to, you know, midlife and beyond. Uh, it's very fascinating. I'm uh, happy to say this is not the first time I have watched Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Well, that's good. Yeah, it is a film. I'm pretty sure my dad had me watch at one point, and by my dad had me watch, we were like flipping through the channels, and it was on like TBS or something. <laughs> uh, but so I was like very familiar with this story. What I was surprised about was I obviously had forgotten how funny it was. How can you forget how funny this know. movie is? It, is? it is a comedy. Well, I get it, but the jokes at the beginning specifically had me going really good. It is, um, I think the pretty joke having the front and then kind of tails off at the end, but is a lot funnier than I realized. I think if I would have asked some, or would been talking to anyone about Ferris Bueller's Day Off, I would have been like, yeah, it's quirky, and he like sings in a parade, mm-hmm. and there's a big deal about the car, and he has kind of like an uptight friend. I definitely wouldn't have mentioned how funny this film actually is, which seems like a disservice to this film. Yeah, I mean, this is really smart. This is really smart comedy. Uh, it's, full of, it's full of gags that uh, I think teenagers get. Um, it also features, you know, and probably one of the, I don't know whether it's a down downside of this film or not, but it, it makes adults seem like real ignoramuses, uh, and losers, (laughs) uh, and throughout, I mean, from, you know, from the teachers to the school secretary to principals and the parents, they're all just dumb idiots to be taken advantage of by, by teenagers. And I think for teenagers, when this movie comes out, um, I'm what, 16 at the time. Um, this is a movie that, Hey, we are, you know, we know more than those grownups do. We can be mm-hmm. like Ferris Bueller. And, um, I think that's part of the humor. And I think, I think if you tried, if you, if someone had never watched this film and sat down and watched it today and they're like in their thirties or forties, I don't think they would find it as funny as, someone who's in the 12 to 18 year old range because they just don't relate with Ferris. Anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Because Ferris now, is, because now Ferris is, is this punk kid, right? Well, and Ferris is a jerk. And that, I think that's part of this is that it, this is one of those movies that borders on the impossible. It borders on this never happened. It borders on complete, made up and in you know there are a lot of people out there who have theories about the plotting of this and how it all comes together but really what it comes down to for me is this is this feels like a wish fulfillment movie this is ferris goes out and he gets the girl and they do this awesome stuff and cameron comes around and of course they they sing wayne newton on a float they go through this whole day of things that's almost impossible and I think when you put that all together and when you when you really look at this, this is kind of a that last day of school that let's go out and do all the cool stuff, wish fulfillment fantasy thing that a lot of people never really got when they were in high school. That's interesting. I mean. So do you think because for me, I think the ending is not super perfect for Ferris. I think he got Cameron to come out of his shell, but Cameron um, is not going to have a a fun probably week or month with his parents, you know? And then Ferris pretty much says, like, I am totally cool if, uh, you know, Sloan would marry me. I would totally marry her. But she's going to be in high school for another year, and I'm going to be doing whatever Ferris actually decides to do. Ferris is a jerk. Well, and that's one of the things that uh, um, his sister, played by uh, Jennifer Grey, she comes right out and is basically, you are the villain. You are selfish. You only think about yourself. You don't think about other people. Right. You, you are only concerned about you. And, you know, kind of in the 80s, that's kind of what it was all about, is being self-centered and, and being all about you and not about other people. But at the end of the day, Ferris is just like, man, yeah, that's okay. I'm, I'm okay being me and doing me things. And if people don't like me being me, then that's their loss. But Jeannie comes out of this better off 
Sure she does. She came in because of her brother being a jerk. Right. And Cameron comes out of this better off because of his best friend being a jerk. And really everybody but Ed Rooney comes out of this at least a little bit better off, partly because of the main character who in his actions is really self-centered and really a little bit obnoxious, but somehow ends up being that, that charmed life, that perfect person, that perfect day even. And I think that it's interesting to note that Jeannie hates him and hates him and hates him throughout the whole movie and wants to bust him. And then given the chance, no, she lets go of it. She is better. She is emotionally more stable and she's actually a better person. If we take this whole movie at face value at the end, Mm-hmm. Than she would have been if if Ferris hadn't taken this last day to be selfish and to be a jerk. I don't. I guess certainly Ferris comes off as selfish. The way I read this movie, watching it this time, is Ferris has everyone's best interests. No, he doesn't. And, no, 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 no. He definitely does. I think absolutely Ferris has his close friends' best interest. He is emotionally stunted in a way it can only come out as Cameron needs yeah. to loosen up. The only right. way I know how to do that is to push him farther than he thinks he can handle and potentially get him in a whole lot of trouble. And well, that's not, that's not in his best interest though, but it's but, a very no, no, adolescent no. mindset. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's fair. So it doesn't know how to emotionally handle helping exactly. people. Right. And Zach is exactly right because even though Ferris is doing this, yes, to get his last day in and to have a day off and to hang out with his girlfriend, he doesn't want Cameron to come along just so they can drive the car. Although that is part of it. They do want the cool car. He wants Cameron to come along so that Cameron can have a nice day and so that Sloan can have a nice day. And he, I, I agree with Zach. I think that he really is trying to be good to his friends, trying to be supportive and make their lives better. And, you know, if we look at I this from the perspective of him being 17 or 18, it's also coming across as I'm going to make my life awesome. And then you guys can come along for the ride. I would say his intent is not to make everyone's life better. It's just a side effect of him being him. Well, OK, well, why do you think that? Because, again, he is like, this is my last day to screw off. This is the last chance I get to do all of these things. And if I don't get to do all the things that I want to get to do, then my life is ruined. Hey, let me bring my friends along because I'm awesome. Everybody wants to hang around with me. Everyone wants to be with me. So I'll bring my two best friends with me and they can partake in the wonderfulness that is my wonderful day off. (laughs) And in the process, in the process, he, he makes changes. I'm not saying that, that nobody comes out uh, changed on the other side, but it's his attitude at the beginning of the film is clearly I'm doing this for me. It's not, I woke up this morning and said, you know what? I need to go get my friend Cameron out of his shell. That's not how this movie starts that. out. He literally says that. No, he's, he, when he's talking with Cameron, not when he's breaking the fourth wall and talking to the audience about why it's important for him to goof off. Cameron is so tight that if you stuck a lump of coal up his ass in two weeks, right. you'd have a diamond. He wants Cameron to loosen up. Yeah, no, again, that's... I th- but that is not that, that is not his intention is to have this day where Cameron this is this is Ferris Bueller's day off. It's right there in the Tyler title. It's not called Ferris and Cameron's Wonderful Adventure. Oh, you can't use the title against <laughs> me. That's what? like saying that How I Met Your Mother had a bad ending because it didn't fit the title. It had a bad <laughs> ending for different reasons entirely. But yeah, I I think that. Well, of course, we can get into the fallacy of authorial intent and all of that crap. But what it really comes down to for me is looking at the actions and the attitude of the character. I agree with you. He is very selfish. But I do 100% agree with Zach that he is selfish and he wants to make things better. Even for Jeannie, who he, you know, is his sister. He loves her. He doesn't like her. He doesn't get along with her. I think he he is happy at the end when she makes a decision that changes her life, partially because it gets him out of trouble, but also because it allows Jeannie to kind of take her own agency for the first time ever. And it's it's one of those things where, yeah, I think that the positive effects are definitely part and parcel of I'm going to go have an awesome day. Yeehaw. But I think that they're intentional on his part. He wants his friends to be part 
of his awesome day. He wants them to also have an awesome day. And he goes to great trouble to bust Sloan out of school and to convince Cameron to come out and not to stay home and be sick. And I feel like you can ascribe that however you want to the character. I, I think your version of Ferris is absolutely legitimate read because he is very egotistical. He's very selfish, very self-centered. But I feel like to me, at least, there's a core of of something altruistic there. There's a core of I'm going to make everybody I'm going to give everybody an awesome day. It's my day off and I'm going to make things awesome. So, you know, I, I definitely get your read, but I agree with Zach on this one. I mean, specifically, I just think it's with Cameron because I think his sister mm-hmm. is a byproduct of her own decision making. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think Sloan's really any different at the film. No, she's not. Sloan she's, is just there because because like you need he a wants girl. his girlfriend. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so, it, yeah, like I think he wants to help Cameron. I don't think he's capable of actually articulating to Cameron about why he well, thinks he should come out with him. And so that's another reason why Sloan is there, because if it were Cameron and Ferris by themselves on this adventure, on this day off, Cameron would, ha- I mean, uh, Ferris would have to confront Cameron. He would say, man, you are suicidal and depressed. Yeah. What the F is wrong with you? And he doesn't want to do that. So he brings Sloan along as the buffer who rides in the front seat while Cameron rides in the back. Mm-hmm. Well, mm. and, and Sloan is the character that actually brings about what the point of the story is, because it is also Ferris, I think, uh, not understanding what he wants to do with his life. And it's like, well, I don't want to go to school. I don't know what I'm going to do after high school. And it's goofy, it's goofy, goofy off time. Right. Because Sloan realizes, well, I still have another year of high school. I know what I'm doing next year. Cameron, you're going to go to college and Ferris is going to do whatever Ferris does. Right. And so he definitely doesn't have that. And I don't think that idea in this film, which ultimately is important to the characters, it would ever be brought about if Sloan wasn't in this film. Sure. Because it would just be, it, yeah, it would end up being a weird conversation that Cameron. It would be, what's that, what's that one uh, movie that we watched about the last interview or whatever? The last interview. Where he was interviewing the the writer from uh, Rolling Stone. Oh, the last interview. Yeah. yeah. With, uh, oh. Yes. How I Met Your we Mother. We all know. And, we all, and, and uh, yes. Facebook. Yes. And the writer who yes. wrote Infinite Jest. Yes. Jeez, we are on the wall today. Yes. That uh, is that is what this movie would have been. Yeah, it would have to have been a weird conversation. Neither Cameron nor Ferris is capable of actually having with mm-hmm. each other. And it would yeah. have been like yelling and it would have been really awkward to watch yeah, they would because know how to you do notice it. that when they are together then the two of them they fight yeah uh they have um especially at the end when cameron is unleashing on on his father issues that's those that's probably typical of a lot of their interactions together mm. uh but it's only because sloan is there that's acting as the buffer that they're like okay we got to tone it down or turn it down or at least have someone who understands right like how to proactively deal with emotions right right so Those that girls was... are better at dealing with emotions <laughs> I, I, i'll say that this is one of my favorite films is it of all time i mean oh, when this movie came time. yeah when Dungeons this movie came out this was one that i was just like oh i mean yeah if you were to say what are your top films uh it would be raiders of lost ark sure. back to the future yep. this would be in my top five if not yeah, it'd be in my top five for sure okay this is one that really impacted me as a kid is when it, it when it came out is that and when I it saw started it. When, we, when you were young, is that when it started? Like the love of this? Because I know like Raiders. Well, yeah, because I was 16 well, and this sure. movie came out. So, yeah. you know, I saw it. And uh, it, this was not one, you know, this is one that I saw. I went to camp or something for the summer. I was a camp counselor. And uh, one night of the week, you could either go see a movie or you could go to this dance. And I was really not interested in going to a dance. Oh, yeah, but they were showing Ferris Bueller's Day Off in the theater. And I was like, what is this movie? And I watched it and I was like, holy God, this is such a fantastic movie. I, I want to see it again and again and again. Mm-hmm. And it really influenced a lot of how I interacted with uh, my friends, how I interacted with, um, you know, adults, uh, how I how I had a different aspect on life and stuff. Mm-hmm. It was it was really, really good. I just want to interject really quick and just say I am envious of the idea of like, what is this movie? Let's go watch this oh, yeah, movie because, no one knows anything about because that is not an yeah. option we have anymore. Yeah, no, this was one that was like, 
we walked in and it was just like, I think right in the opening credits or something, right, right as it was starting. And I was like, what is this? And then he suddenly turns to the audience, breaks the fourth wall, which I'd not really seen done beyond a, a, a cartoon. Yeah. And he uh-huh. starts addressing the audience. I'm like, and then there's graphics popping up. I'm like, what is this? And then the brilliance of, you know, once you sit through the credits, because this was, you know, it had already been out in theater. So some people had already seen it. And they're like, wait, stick around for after the credits. And then we get this, this great bit with Ferris telling everyone to go home at the end. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, whoa, this is like a total different take on how to use this medium to communicate with an audience by breaking this fourth wall, telling them what you're going to do. And then summarizing your your argument to the audience and saying, this is why I'm doing all these things. Mm-hmm. It, it was brilliant. I was just like, wow, this is very, very cool. Matthew, did you see this movie when it first came out? Because you're the same age as Steven. He's actually yeah, younger than remember. me. Uh, okay, sorry. I'm like a full, a full three months younger, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. So, I mean, transformatively, we're practically different. Yeah, right, he's sure. practically well, you know, a year away from me. Yeah, one of you is like a Yeah, not even not even that. I mean, he was born on Labor Day, and I was born near Christmas. So, yeah, you it's know, like summer winter. Nin- <laughs> Night and day. Was it was it just a weird year, but... I didn't, and I honestly can't remember the first time I saw it, but I know that I saw it after it became a thing, capital A, capital T. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking that I may have actually seen it on cable first, because when I see it uncensored, there are a lot of moments that I forget are in the film. I have the same problem with the Blues Brothers. I'm so (laughs) used to seeing it on TBS. Yeah. That I forget that there's actual profanity in this. I forget that Jeannie calls somebody a dickhead. I forget that there's a second verse to the nurses singing Telegram. Um, <laughs> I forget some of these things that I've never seen because when I started seeing it, I started seeing it probably on TBS. Okay. Either TBS or WGN. And I remember, you know, seeing bits and pieces of it. And when I finally sat down and watched all of it, I'm like, oh, that's the bad guy from Howard the Duck. Um, <laughs> yeah. So we know that it was after Howard the Duck. It was probably in college. Um, so I would say, yeah. But when I did watch it, this was another one of those films that really hit a sweet spot for me just in terms of the absurdity of the humor and some of the situations being kind of, you know, over the top, but not over the top. The whole uh, Abe Frome and the Sausage King of Chicago dance, that's <laughs> that's gorgeous. That is gorgeous. I. I've always said, and people have told me that when I talk about my, you know, my, my idols in pop culture, it's always like smart asses and tricksters and jack wagons and Ferris Bueller rightfully should be on the list. But of course, for me, my, my, uh, 20 ish jackass movie is always real genius, but that whole Abe Froman thing. That's amazing. I love that. I I've always wanted to kind of live something like that and, Mm -hmm. you know, really never had and I've I've been in a sixty-one Ferrari GT, so that's kind of neat too. They're tiny. I there is a, there is a lot of jokes in this that are based off of phones and answering mm-hmm. machines. Yeah. that are yep. just eventually going to be lost Ed, on people. Ed, Ferris Bueller's online too. Yeah, and like the answering machine, like re-recording answering yeah. machine messages. All oh, of this is going to be weird. I can't come to the phone. I can't come to the door right now. You're going to have to have an explainer of landlines and answering yeah. machines mm-hmm. before fut- like future generations. Oh yeah, no, this I. Movie. Uh, this is one that there are movies that, in fact, I would say most movies after 1991 don't hold up. Or most movies before 1991 don't hold up when it comes to a reliance on technology. And this one is definitely yeah. one of those because the technology doesn't exist, or people have no idea or concept of what you know, what a landline is. And I'm not saying to everybody, but there's a vast majority of people that only know cell phones that don't know why is there a wire connected to the wall uh, in order for me to make this phone call. Most people don't know what a pay phone is. Yeah. Uh, So they were in a high school. That was weird. Are there pay pay phones phones in a high school? school? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah, That was normal. How are you supposed to make a phone call home? Go to the office. My school had pay phones so that you could call home or you could call somebody and tell them, Hey, I need a ride or, in my case, you could call AAA and tell them the truck didn't run again. But your high schools weren't that big, were they? No, we didn't have one in our high school. We had, what was the, where was the payphone? It was over in the gym is where our payphone was. In the gym? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, because that's where you had all your basketball games and stuff. So people had to go make a phone call. Ours was outside the office next to the machine where you'd put in a quarter and get a pen. 
Oh, <laughs> those are awesome. <laughs> and then there were the, sometimes you'd have collectible pens, yeah. and guys would go over and you'd try to get a complete set, but you'd always end up with like five of the crappy pen, mm-hmm. and you never get the cool pen. But yeah, and your office like, is- yeah. I, I would be I would be really surprised if you could show someone this film today and have them say, "Oh yeah, that's what my high school is like." You know what? There's a payphone literally two steps outside my office door. People use it. So, yeah, people have to use it. They people carry change and stuff. Right? Didn't, yeah, didn't your mom ever tell you to put a quarter in your in your uh, shoe? Shoe, so you could call home. It's right next to oh. the newspaper machine, which is another thing that nobody sees anywhere else. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, along with newspapers, I can, let alone the newspaper machine. There's a graveyard <laughs> and of parades. Paper machines behind Hayes Daily, and it's really funny to see. Yeah, parades. We have five parades a year. <laughs> Not on the grand scale of the one that Ferris gets <laughs> yeah, to partake in. Not like this. Yeah, not it like is a, the, the St. Steuben's Day parade. Which is that is, what this was? Is like an Oktoberfest or something? No, it's St. Steuben's Day. Is that or thing? von Steuben's Day. Is that a von Steuben Day, yeah. Uh, yeah. Von Steuben Day is an actual thing. It's uh, it's kind of, I think, like an Oktoberfest kind of thing that's regional. Yeah. But yeah, it celebrates a man named von Steuben who uh, worked for George Washington. Yeah, and it's it's in that same vein as Oktoberfest. It's okay. the the German people. The German people. They love but here's the, von the weird Stuben thing, day. right? Here's the weird thing. Sorry, do you have Indian. do you have a von Steuben Day parade mm-hmm. in the middle of the week and not let school out? Really, uh-huh. it's a very small parade. No, it's a huge parade. Well, Did you see all the people? There's a lot of people. There were tons and thousands well, of people out there. It was a school day, and it clearly wasn't, you know, September when von Schuben Day happens. Yeah. So, <laughs> I don't know. I, you know. <laughs> That's the only thing about this this movie that every time I watch it, even the first time I watch it, I'm like, well, if there's hey. a parade, why is everyone still in school? They should be out because that's what parades want people to show up. So, you yeah. either do it after school would be let out, or you do it on a day when they've declared a holiday for the district. And that's clearly not going on here. That's why, yeah. and I know listeners at home are going. Stevens arguing about a holiday made of holiday See, in this, this in this film, movie, and why it doesn't work. No, that's the only thing that pulls me out of this. Is because how else do you get all of those people down for a parade if there's not something big going on? That's why this film should have been in New Orleans because you can just have your own parade anytime you want right. to if you pay one hundred fifty dollars. Right. Yeah, there you go. Everyone in New Orleans actually wears a paper mache model of their own head uh, at all times. <laughs> Um, and you know, they you walk around with beads. It happens. I have a friend who lives in New Orleans. So it's true. So speaking of the weird parade and such, I have mm-hmm. heard there are strange theories about the, the, the sequence of events that happens in Ferris Bueller's and there's of course the internet yes. and they, you know, they yes. put together theories. Okay. And so yes. what are those. they? The theory that I have heard is that Ferris does not exist. Yeah, Ferris is make-believe. Ferris does not exist. Cameron exists. And Cameron, and I'm never sure. Has had a fight club psychotic split. Uh, But but Cameron basically is sort of dating Sloane. I don't know exactly how the whole thing comes together. But basically what it breaks down to is all of the things involving Ferris that are kind of over the top, that are kind of unbelievable, Mm -hmm. are unbelievable because they didn't really happen. And then you have like, uh, say, the moment where uh, Cameron is looking at that uh, puntillistic picture, and they're doing the dunt to the back and forth, the back and forth, and the yeah. zoom, and the back and the forth. That really happened, but that's also proof that he's losing his mind because he's clearly freaking out. And um, I don't know. There's also one that says something about uh, this is Cameron's dying dream. But uh, as a rule of thumb, I will never ever partake of read entertain or get anywhere near any theory that starts with okay the main character's dying dream is and i'm like nope i'm out yeah that's why that's, matthew doesn't like greece that's not funny that is not funny <laughs> yeah greece i've heard that i've character's heard that dying dream steven universe is not a character's dying dream uh, <laughs> chicago is not a character's dying dream moulin rouge is possible no moulin rouge is not a character's dying dream buffy the vampire slayer is not a character's dying dream and if you try and tell me that i will look you in the eye i will look you in the eye and i will tell you to eat a bug yeah that's what he'll tell you what bug though one of the giant ancient millipedes that used to be 30 meters long and it would eat you but no i've heard the uh, the fight club um story for a long time 
uh, about how not that not that Ferris is imaginary, mm-hmm. but Ferris is Cameron. Oh, so yeah, it's just Cameron. Yeah, it's just Cameron, just Cameron. the entire time. Even all the it's crazy just stuff. The entire time. Everything that 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 uh, Matthew Broderick is doing, it's really Cameron's alternate personality. Hmm. That seems odd. I don't like it because there's just so many weird interactions of like Sloane saying Ferris is like Sloane buying right. into this split. Sloane actually believes she's dating Ferris, I believe is how the theory goes. Mm-hmm. But Ferris is actually Cameron. And doesn't believe that he deserves Sloan, so he's created a, a second. I don't know. It's let's be honest here. Watch Fight Club. It's it's <laughs> meta, yeah, it's metatextual Fight Club crap. And you sure. know, it's, I'm not sure. I believe. I don't think I believe in any of the alt no. theories that are out there on this film or the different readings on this film because ultimately no. it's just a reading. But it's clear as you watch this film that there's too much. Yeah. Of that breaks down those theories very quickly. And when people and say, yeah, but if you don't watch the whole parade, that's just a, <laughs> that's just him eating too much of the, uh, the, the pancreas at the, at the restaurant. Now he's having some weird reaction to it. And that's what the whole parade is all about. <laughs> it's like, no, that's not it. Well, when you, when you get into a narrative like this, Ferris Bueller does border on absurdity. No, that's and the whole point. Not just absurdity. You actually get into, it's not existentialism. What is it when you uh, like the end of Barton Fink, where things are yeah, clearly not on fire actually and, happening? Yeah, I f- I forget what they call that, but there's actually there's a phrase for it that that escapes me. Symbolism. It's 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 the symbolism of the the movie that comes into play. Like if you sit and analyze, well, this you can do the same thing with the Blues Brothers, another beloved film of mine. It's got moments that are really kind of silly and they're silly for a reason because they make you laugh because this is a freaking comedy and i think that when you get to you know some of those ridiculous points where ferris is singing on the float and suddenly sounds just like wayne newton or when they're you know able to get into any place that they want and they have all of these weird things happen i feel like that absurdity, people look at it and go, well, this could never really happen. But then we look at the point where, you know, the Ferrari goes flying out into the woods and smashes. That's also absurdity that could never happen. You know, there are, there are pratfall situations with Ed Rooney. There's a whole bunch of stuff involving Genie. And that whole sequence at the end where he's running home, that, you know, that's not how time and space <laughs> and dimension work. It's, but it, all comes together and if you're watching this film you can get immersed in this film and not notice or at least you know not care about those things because the narrative itself is not about reality yeah it's about telling a story that is fun and that story may have some aspects that are kind of whoa hey over the top and you got to realize that there is almost an hour of stuff we have never seen from this film uh the original the original length of this film was two hours 45 minutes Oh, too uh, much, much too long. Yeah, John Hughes went and, and it was right before writer's strike. And so he wrote this film in a, in a week. He had the idea in one day, had it approved 24 hours later, had the script done a week later, and then they were shooting in production Wow, uh, to, to get this underway. And I don't know if this is the case in a lot of John Hughes films, but he likes to, and according to reports on this one, this was essentially they were shooting the first draft of the movie, which mm-hmm. was two hours 45. And then he edited it together in the edit bay to bring it down. And some people are speculate uh, that he wrote this over the course of one day because he wanted this to be something he could edit in the, in the edit bay so that the characters were wearing the same clothes throughout the entire movie. So they would never have to go back and say, Oh, here's a continuity uh, error. Nice. Very much the same way that if you watch breakfast club, it's also a movie that takes place in one day. The actors never have to change their clothes and thus it prevents any continuity errors from scene to scene. Mm-hmm. So that's, right. you know, we don't know what else is in this movie, uh, but I doubt it's the revelation that Ferris is imaginary. This it, is a fun it, movie. This is supposed sure. to make you laugh. This is a teen comedy. It's supposed to be appealing to kids that are like, yeah, stick it to the man, man. Someone needs to like, Dear hackers, stop. <laughs> stop all, bugging HBO with Game yeah, of Thrones. Yeah, stop stealing HBO scripts. We're going to see it. It's made. Go into, what is this, Universal? <laughs> no, not Universal. Uh, 
The people with the mountains. Paramount. Paramount. Yeah. Paramount. Uh, find all of the the original yeah. Ferris Bueller footage and put it online. That's what we really want to see. Stop with this Game and of Thrones. It's just going to be out on Trump. Sunday. We don't have this footage. We need to see because I feel like if there's more footage to this movie, it gets even weirder. Because then it's like, how long is this day? Did the sun stand in the sky for yeah. six hours? Well, the day is 24 hours long. But he only has from like 8.30 to 6. Okay, well, that's still nine and a half hours. But, but. Ten Matthew, and a half hours. He, had to, he took a no, long shower. A they had to do oh, the yeah, whole but, meal thing. By the time, if you think about this, by the time he picks up Sloan, it's got to be 10.30 in it's the morning. Second period. Plus, yeah, plus they're driving all over the city of Chicago. So, you know, traffic and everything. Yeah, there's that's another thing is how do they get all of this done in a single day? Because that's mighty impressive. But again, you're not supposed to be thinking about that stuff. Yeah. It, it For being in Chicago, it feels like a small city. I don't know what it is about it. If there's just never any real skyline because there's, shots. Well, no, because um, is there? Hughes, Hughes, Hughes does that a lot. No. Uh, he loves showing off the city of Chicago or loved showing off the city of Chicago. And so um, whether you, whenever you can get a skyline shot, whether you can go into at the time, the Sears tower yeah. and climb up to the top and look out over everything, whether you can get shots of the downtown where you can get shots of the art Institute, all of those kinds of things, he's going mm-hmm. to include them in, in this movie. But even when they're in Sears Tower, it's like they look down at the street. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So the way they do it, it feels small. Like if, well, if there was again, no Sears Tower. If there was a 20 minute uh, interlude of them riding the subway oh, from sure. one place to another, then yes. Well, I just don't it know would, what it, it is. It would feel like a bigger, bigger, you know, it would feel like a bigger city. Because but I think they you, are literally dropping their car off and then they're walking into yeah. a fancy restaurant and then they're walking into, you know, a, a parade and then they're out at the Art Institute. And those places are nowhere near each other. <laughs> well, yeah, that restaurant is in Los Angeles for one. But. Yeah, I, I think if, like, if you take out the Sears Tower. In this film. I don't think if I think it's like any like midwestern minor metro area, and <laughs> it doesn't really feel any different. You know what I mean? Could be could be Kansas City. Yeah, it could be Kansas City like easily. They could just be like down in Westport. Um, I don't know. There's just something about this. There's like a lot of neighborhoods you don't see. Yeah. To me, it doesn't feel. I again, I've never been in Chicago, but I've seen movies in Chicago. It doesn't feel like a big metro area besides the fact there's a giant parade and the Sears Tower is there. <laughs> it's a city. So what is it? Why has a, a, a comedy from the 1986. 80s lasted so long and been so loved by people? What is it about Ferris Bueller's day off that keeps resonating? Um, honestly, I think it's because it is so different than any other comedy that had come out at the time. Um, I, I'm trying to think of there are very few mi- movies that really m- make a point of breaking that fourth wall mm-hmm. and then throwing in all the other zaniness that goes on in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's probably the main reason why. And plus it's using language and situations in ways that, as Matthew said, he wishes he was able to do mm-hmm. uh, if he were cool like Ferris. And I think it's that, that it, that has had it last that long. And again, when you look at, the less than a dozen films John Hughes ever directed. This is one of those. And it's right there in the middle of his, his directing library. And it's, it's, I probably would say the peak of his, well, planes, trains and automobiles. Um, but, uh, this is right there at the peak of his teen comedies. And it's, it's fantastic. I think it's another example of that. You know, we, we refer to it as the zeitgeist. It's sort of, a movie that is more than the sum of its parts. And had we had, say, Molly Ringwald instead of Mia Sarah, or had we had, I don't know, Michael J. Fox instead of Matthew Broderick, I don't think that we would we would hold this movie with the same sense of esteem. I think that whatever John Hughes was doing with this and you know bringing these actors together, you know, to the point where even Ben Stein, the bit player in what, three scenes? Yeah. Ben, ben Stein's career is now based on this movie for all intents and purposes, mm-hmm. because the Bueller, Bueller, that boring old history teacher thing. Yeah, that's who Ben Stein is. But the reason people know him is because of 
this film. And I feel like there's kind of a, just a weird alchemy in play with putting everything together. I mean, if you see a parody of this movie, you, I see them all the time. There's a uh, family guy loves parodying this movie for one. And I watch family guy on a regular basis. So feel free to judge me if you need to, but this is something where you can take just a little piece of this movie and make a visual reference. They're doing it with Domino commercials right now. The guy running through the backyard and leaping over the fence and getting home in time. It's all something. Well, that, they did it. They did it in um, Spider-Man Homecoming too. They make a direct yeah. reference to Ferris Bueller's Day yeah. Off. They did, and you know, Domino's is a major sponsor of uh, Spider-Man Homecoming. I don't know if you know that. That's not true, actually. I think it's Pizza Hut, but. Yeah, I think that there's just something about this. It's it's catching people at a particular point in their career. Uh, it it gives us just enough Charlie Sheen to be perfect and good. Five seconds of Charlie Sheen, good enough. Jennifer Grey has her original nose, so that's mm -hmm. good. Matthew Broderick still feels young. Do you guys know, this is the thing that always fascinates me about this, because I didn't realize until a couple of years ago, Cameron in this movie is yeah, nearly like 30. 30. Yeah, he's like 30 years old. 29 years old. Yeah. <laughs> and like literally three or four years later, he is the captain of the enterprise in a star Trek movie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> They're like star Trek five or something, but it really is just, I, I don't know what, or if you can even really describe it, but something that they put together, something works. Something about this movie just really clicks across the board. And I think to some degree you can attribute that to Hughes because he's got, what, five of these in his arsenal? I know Steven listed a bunch of them. Oh, all the, has, John, all the John Hughes films? I mean, uh, just from directing. Yeah. I mean, he's got, you know, so much from uh, from everything. I mean, there's, there's at least two dozen um, sure. just stuff that he's written. But, I mean, if you're looking at the... If you were looking at what were the 80s like for teenagers, you would have to watch 16 Candles, The Breakfast Club, Weird Science, Pretty in Pink, and yep. that's probably it. Some kind of wonderful, but he didn't direct that. But if you just watch those four films, those define everything about teenagers in the 80s. Yeah, and if you, and if you go wider and look at things that that he had a hand in writing and things that he had a hand in producing. Mm -hmm. You look at vacation. I mean, you yeah. look at a, a bunch of John Candy movies. You look at home. Well, Alone. I mean, he was, he was the writer producer of pretty in pink, uh, which we didn't include in that, in that directing list. Yeah. Um, but he, I mean, it's just, it's all over the place. Movie, he wrote that one movie where, uh, Brad from Pulp Fiction is in love with Jennifer Connelly. And I can't remember the name of it. Uh, but it's, it's not, how to succeed in business without really trying. And it's not that one with Michael J. Fox. that is exactly the same thing, but basically uh, the kid from Pulp Fiction and Jennifer Conley get locked in a department store all night. Oh, I know which one you're talking about. Yes. And I can't remember the name of it, but I'm it's trying, a I'm, really, really it's not, solid flick. I want to say, is it uh, career? Yeah. Career opportunities, career opportunity. Thank you. With, uh, yes. with, um, Ducky and, uh, Jennifer Connelly. That's not Ducky. That's Frank Whaley. Oh, Frank Whaley. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's Ducky. got Frank Whaley in it. Yeah. Yeah. Frank Whaley from uh, Weird Science. Yeah. Frank Whaley, who was uh, recently in Luke Cage. But yeah. if you look at those, I feel like he, as a writer, has a really, really strong kind of ear for putting things together. But if you look at a movie like this, and you, I would say the same is true of definitely The Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink to a lesser degree for me, he has assembled a cast and presumably a crew and put this all together. And all of these people are hitting most or all of their cylinders. So I feel like a movie like Ferris Bueller's day off requires magic from more than John Hughes, but you have to have somebody like a John Hughes at the helm. You have to have somebody helping people to channel all of that into the same goal. And I really feel like a movie like this, this is not something that you're going to look at and say, this is Citizen Kane of 1986, you guys. But this movie is really a fascinating achievement. It really is something impressive. Uh, maybe even on a, on a level comparable, I think, to Citizen Kane, just in terms of its pop culture durability and the impact that it had on people's fictional conversations. You know, like we say, the, the Ferris Bueller parody is everywhere. Mm -hmm. The beginning of this film, when Ferris is 
after he pulled his stunt, tricking his parents and getting ready for the day and talking directly to the camera for most of it. And especially specifically when the graphics came on the screen, to me this felt a lot like uh, like an Edgar Wright comedy mm. and uh, like a lot of Scott Pilgrim. Scott Pilgrim is pretty quirky and uses a lot of graphics and is uh, mm. pretty non-standard in its com- in its comedy throughout the film. And right. that specifically is what made me think. Uh, yeah, that uh, Ferris Bueller felt like Edgar Wright because Edgar Wright isn't doing you know like Judd Apatow any like the like the really really big blockbuster type directors doing comedy right now. He's very technical and quirky and is using a lot of film tricks, yeah, to help his comedy, which I felt like Hughes does throughout. Right. Well, Edgar Paris. Edgar Wright says that the Breakfast Club really influenced him is oh, a really? major influence in in his work okay so yeah it cool. makes sense nailed it. I, I think i don't know if that was during an interview he had with uh hardwick or not but it's uh, a recent interview and i don't oh, think it's just a couple months from, ago like, baby driver yeah from press. baby driver press so okay. yeah but uh go yeah he's he really uh loves john hughes cool so i you know if you're listening to zach on film you don't know uh soon a child with half my DNA will be brought into this world. You and only have? Well, half. Well, you hope half it's half your DNA, DNA. Half my DNA. Yeah. yeah. And so I thought, man, I got to get some like parenting advice. So what better? <laughs> what better way to start looking to the movies that we are uh, talking about on Zach on film? And Stephen, you mentioned earlier this is if if you're watching Ferris for the first time and you're like in your 30s and 40s, uh, or you're maybe if you're 27 about to become a parent, maybe you don't. Uh, I'm 26, by the way. I always do that. It's weird. Uh, Wish fulfillment. Yeah, I guess. You know, you were born in 1980. No. The, what? Oh, sh- you were like 1990. Uh, 1990. 1991. Oh God. The. No, <laughs> you said the idea of those very dumb parents. Right. And mm-hmm. and Ferris is Bueller's day off, and uh, parents definitely don't come off as great for pretty much anyone's parents. No, overall, all the, all the, like Ferris's Bueller's the, on the surface seem very nice, but they also almost seem like no, too they're, loving they're, and gullible. They're yeah, you know? they're gullible. They're out of touch. They're yeah. morons. And then Cameron's they're parents are obviously not healthy. Well, Cameron's parents are absent. Yeah, right, right. And the only thing that we know about his parents is Cameron's perception that his father is an abusive jackwagon. Right. Which you know, it this is the thing we don't actually ever see that. But it's something important that you look at in your fictions is we we trust that character to tell us that his father is an abusive jerk or at least, you know, a neglectful jerk. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's an example where all of the adults in here are idiots. But there's there's this little shadow of of nefarious there in in Cameron's father that's actually disturbing more than once. You kind of wonder if. Well, there's. No, I don't think there's physical abuse. I think it's all mental, emotional abuse as and brought on by being an absent father who is sure obviously in a job that is such high power that he can afford one of 100 cars uh, left in existence of of the GT 250s or whatever it is. And um, and so, yeah, I I think that there's probably a a large degree of neglect that never says where the mother is. um, And it also if there's divorce involved, which I'm guessing it's not divorce because if it was, why is he living with his dad? Right. Um, well, and I, I think that the mother actually had to drop off his little sister, Allison at, uh, the, uh, detention in Shermer. Yeah. Maybe that's what it that was. Same day because yeah, that, that honestly, that's the same sort of thing. And the way Allison describes her parental relationships in the breakfast club, mm-hmm. I think feel like there's a lot of echoes here in Cameron, but yeah, I mean, this is the thing that is fascinating to me. Even the adult characters who are kind of sympathetic are morons. Well, I mean, who's? I mean, I was going to say who's a sympathetic character because the most the restaurant uh, the restaurant owner is a douchebag who is um, is easily easily fooled. Um, the uh, secretary is a ditz. The principal Ro- is a Rooney's vin- secretary is probably the closest thing we have to a character who is sympathetic. Yeah. Because she, well, she at least 
listens to the kids. I mean, she points it out. Mm-hmm. The sportos, yeah, the yeah. motorheads, the geeks, sluts, bloods, wastoids, dweebies, that dickheads, was, they all. Yeah. Right. When she said dickheads, just by the way, I yeah. lost it. That is hilarious. Yeah. That, that either she decided there was a group called the dickheads. No, I'm sure that there's themselves people. Don't you have dickheads. dickheads in your school? No, not that they not self-identified. Oh, okay. Yeah. But yeah well, that's, that's groups, are ne- groups are never self-identified unless they're <laughs> causing trouble, right? Uh, that's that's a that's a, a word that you don't actually hear in the version of it that I see on TBS either, yeah, or at least yeah. you didn't. Yeah. So I didn't realize she said that, and that's hysterical. But yeah, I think that Grace is probably the closest thing we have to a sympathetic adult character. I mean, the waiter in the uh, in the restaurant is awful. Rooney is just awful. The cops are awful. I don't know. I mean, Even dad. Oh, Ferris's dad. You're like, oh, he's just this neutral guy. He's just some schmuck who goes and he does his business. And then you see, not does his business. He does things in business. <laughs> but then you see his response to seeing the pretty girl in the next cab. And you're just like, ew. Well, which, also, I'm very surprised that he can never like recognize his son. Yeah. Because he's like, he's driving right next to him and looks at like the back of his head, he's like, oh, "I'm going running." I don't know if I could pick out my son if just by looking at the back of his head. Oh, I think you could. I've got two kids that are in uh, school, and yeah. whenever I walk in to pick them up, I have to stop and look and say, <laughs> "Okay, where's my kid at?" It's kind of hard, um, to be honest could, with you. Really, I I will always notice my kid. I I do. Well, that's because she stands kid. like five feet taller than everyone else. But that's not the point. <laughs> I noticed and, and I pay attention even when my kid was little and was, you know, running around with other kids and we'd go to like, like kindergarten or parks or stupid things. I would always have this, try to have a sense of which one is my kid. If only because there's going to come a day when you might have to, you know, pick her up from jail and you want to make sure you're getting the right kid. But, eh, you know, it's, it, and you know, Steven has two, so that's twice as many characteristics to remember. And they both look alike, so and yeah, they they are nearly identical now. So, which Has, is weird because they're like the three same haircuts. Apart. No, oh, they look very similar. When I no, in. Oh, okay, no. So, the, so the takeaways we have parentally from Ferris Bueller is parents uh, are stupid, parents are dumb, and one day your kid Try will look at you dumb. the same way uh, Ferris Bueller looks at his parents as a, a schmuck yes. who will fall for licking my palms. Yes, their palms. Yes, you know, I just well, think. I was thinking about this. I go, you know, I work at a job. I get I get paid time off. Why don't they just pay time off for school? I mean, you have to go there. You're supposed to be there five days a week. It's called the weekends and holidays. Yeah, but I get and those summer too. vacation. I get those too. You do not get summer <laughs> okay, vacation. I don't get summer vacation, but I get PTO. I guess. I was thinking, like, <laughs> I, my parents would be, like, chill if I really wasn't that sick. But it was like one day a semester. They would give me like, all right, fine, whatever. I'll look the other way. I think that's reasonable, right? As a parent, one day a semester. I don't know. When my kids are sick, they're usually sick. So. Oh, I know. But like, there would be like sometimes like, I'm kind of sick. Clearly I could tough it out. But come yeah, on, parents. Nope. Get, get, get to class. School. <laughs> Pull them out of school. You my know, wife and I like are the same way. It's just like. A solar Listen, unless you got a 103 degree temperature, unless you're in, in one of those categories that the school doesn't want you, you're yeah. going to school. Yeah. My, I did fake sick one time, but I didn't. Now, maybe different once the kids get parent. older. Oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was because if it was a kid, if I was a kid in Ferris's age, yeah, maybe a little different if my kids are that age and they're like, you know, I really didn't, I need a meet a dad. Well, uh, then I'd probably be like, okay, let's figure something out so we, sure. your mom's not involved. You don't have to stay home with but, them. Yes, you know, but at yeah. this age, yeah, yeah, this you're going to get a no, phone call like school. every five days. Yeah. Your kid threw up. You must come pick him up in 15 minutes, Zach. Here and then you will be doing nothing for the rest of the yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I did when I was young. I just faked the, the school cafeteria lady. Like, I threw up in the bathroom. We had just gotten a computer, our first computer, <laughs> and I wanted to play video games. So I faked threw up in the bathroom. And then told the lady, oh. and then I got to go home and play computer all day. Because that's what you do when you're sick. <laughs> that is what you do when you're sick. There, I mean, there are still days now where you, you ask yourself, is she sick or is she just tired of the crap of being in eighth grade? And uh, I don't know. I mean, there are days where I'm like, am I sick or am I just tired of the crap of being in 24th grade? <laughs> um, because there are times where I just cannot force myself 
to countenance getting up and letting people yell at me for eight hours. But I don't know. I mean, I think that in some ways, and you know, it as with everything, it's a matter of moderation. I feel like in some ways, letting your child have that mental health day once in a while, you know, once in a blue moon, once once a semester, once a year, whatever it is, something where the child just needs a day to be a child. I don't think that that's bad parenting. But I think that if your child has taken nine days, altered the school <laughs> nine records. Nine days. To, to alter the school records to make it look like two. And, you know, there's there's some issues there. Also, did you notice that Ferris's mom didn't remember him being sick for all I nine days? I remember Ferris being sick nine days. Right. Nine which means that days. some of the sick he had to fake that she didn't notice. So he has a. Well, no, that is no. That, the reason why that's in there. Yes, he could have gotten to school and ditched class and said he was sick and his mom never found out. But I always took it as, oh, mom's just clueless about her kids. Yeah, I think Ooh. your read is, is solid here. I, I was going remember. with with uh, mom left early, just have to fake dumb dad. Yeah. And so he, she, she, did, she was out late selling out homes. You think he's playing mom and dad against each other? Three Probably. days for mom, three days for dad. <laughs> Why not? Uh, no, days, my guess days? is he left for school and then ditched on the way is probably so. what happened. Seems like harder yeah. to pull off because you don't have the parent calling. Right. You have to have your parent call in. Lick the palms. Yeah. Lick yeah. the palms. Sure, it's, it's childish. Nine days. It's cool. Anyways, it, it, was, it was great to get to travel with Ferris for a day through the streets of Chicago and imagine what it would be like to sing in a parade. Uh, really do enjoy this movie. And I guess if you haven't seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off. What's wrong with yeah, you? Come on, man. Let's go. Uh, take a day off. Lick your palms. And don't call watch the work. TBS version. No, no, no. Yeah, rent, don't watch the TBS rent version. Rent it through your preferred streaming service. and uh, Don't rent it. Buy it. This is one you'll oh, want yeah, okay, to keep sure, and treasure it. for after the apocalypse. <laughs> oh, speaking of the apocalypse. Yeah, speaking of Next week, Red Dawn. Not a submarine Red. movie? Not a submarine movie, but instead... A movie about what happens when the Russians and the Chinese invade. Now we're watching the nineteen what is Cubans. it nineteen eighty four? So the nineteen eighty four version, not the more recent twenty eleven remake or whatever that oh, was. Oh, oh, okay. I know this movie now. I for some reason I was thinking. Oh yeah, like, this has everybody. Yeah, this has this has Patrick Swayze and yeah. Thomas Howell and Leah Thompson and uh, Harry Dean Stanton. And Will Smith, but not that Will Smith. And also Powers Booth is in this. Yeah. Wow. For some reason, I was thinking this is the comedy because it's just where it was smacked in the middle of what we were watching. But now I know this movie. I get it. I've never seen it, but I know what it is. But that's next week on Zach on Film. In the meantime, what you can do, faithful listeners, head over to Majorspoilers.com and find this podcast posting page and give us all your favorite moments of Ferris Bueller's Day Off. You can comment on anything we've talked about this episode there. And we will read it in the comments. While on Majorspoilers.com, click on the Amazon.com link. We're going to do all of your back-to-school shopping. It's not going to cost you any extra. Or you could buy your your fake dummies, (laughs) your um, Moog uh, keyboards, your uh, answering machines that you can hook up to your doorbell. You can get all of that through Amazon.com and then take a day off just like Ferris. Absolutely. Get some pencils to put in your hair or some gummy bears (laughs) that will be nice and warm because they've been in your pocket. And none of those products will cost you a cent more when you use that link, but a little bit of that money will come back to help Major Spoilers keep putting podcasts out like this each and every week. So easy to do to support your favorite podcasters in the entire world. Uh, That's it for this week's episode of Zach on Film. We'll see you next week. This podcast is copyright 2017 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. At the Home Depot, we're dedicated to helping you build the skills that get your home projects done right. That's why we offer free and interactive online DIY workshops. During the live streams, our knowledgeable associates help you tackle your DIY projects no matter your age or skill level. 
you can learn how to install new single-pole switches, as well as standard duplex and GFCI outlets. Register for free at homedepot.com slash workshops. The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. 